Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the New Testament. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. We've covered a lot already, just I mean, in the entirety of the book of Romans. Uh, but in chapter 7 through 11, we've covered multitudes of information. And praise be to the Lord. Because now that we have this backdrop, not just of the entirety of the book of Romans thus far, but chapter 7 through chapter 11, we have this nice backdrop. Kind of like, remember how in our study in Leviticus, how I would mention we have this nice backdrop, this foundation of Leviticus, which will uh, uh, buttress our understandings of further studies in the Old Testament. The same applies here. In Romans, we have this understanding of Romans 1 through 11, and some biggies are chapters 7 through 11. And among that little chunk, some biggies are chapter 8 and chapter 9, um, and then also 11. Those are some biggies. And here we are in chapter 12. We have this nice backdrop. And what does Paul do? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he goes further. He teaches further on deep, deep, deep spiritual things to a young church comprised of both Jew and Gentiles. <clears throat> and this is what he says here in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, you know, now that we know the things that we've looked at in these previous chapters. Therefore, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, translates as well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. I love verse 1 so much. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole entire Bible. I have a lot, but this is one, it's just like, wow, I reflect on this one a lot. Because do you ever have times in your walk with the Lord, do you ever have moments where you're like, wow, Lord, what can I do for you? Lord, you're my king. What can I do for you? It's in those moments where you can just cry out to the Lord. He knows your heart. And what's so beautiful is like, what, what you know, imagine this young church growing in. You ever talk to young people? And they're, they're so energetic and they're so eager to do this, eager to do that. And you're just like, whoa, hold on. You know, hold on, slow your roll a little bit. Not that it's bad. But to take that fire and, you know, channel it properly in accordance with the word of God and say, yes, this is fine to have this passion, this desire to serve the Lord. But, you know, just like Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, you can't use a novice. You can't use a new like a brand new believer for these to, to, to go into certain ministries such as eldership in a church, such as pastoral ministry. And a young person can have a passion and, you know, Lord, do you want to direct me in this, in, this, in this path, in this avenue? Do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to be an elder? Now, anybody who just says, I want to be a pastor because I want to feel good about myself, that's not good. I mean, the desire is like, okay, I understand the desire and that can be seen as good. But when the Lord calls you, you know, he has prepared you. He is preparing you. He will prepare you and he will guide you and he will protect you. You know, as the saying goes, where God guides, he provides. A lot of people think of provision as financial provision. But provision is comes in all shapes and sizes, different packages. Sometimes it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Sometimes it's hope. Sometimes it's mercies. Sometimes it's understanding. Sometimes it's, it's, all, it's a whole bunch of different facets. 
of our walk with the Lord. And we learn these things. It's like, wow, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do I give this much? Do I go here? Do I do this? And Paul just lays it out. Brethren, I beseech you, I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what I think is so beautiful? In the Old Testament, in our studies in the Old Testament, and we're going to see it more, but when somebody would bring a sacrifice, they wouldn't kill it, kill the animal, the sacrifice. They wouldn't kill it at some, you know, whatever location and then bring it to the tabernacle for a burnt offering or for, you know, whatever type of offering, a sin offering, a trespass offering. No, they would bring the animal to the tabernacle. It would be alive. And it would die right there. And I love that so much because what do you do? What do I do? We present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. What does that require? Death. And I'm not speaking about death like, you know, uh, you know, jumping off a bridge. I'm speaking about carrying your cross, your instrument of death. When you carry your cross, you reckon the old man dead, you reckon the old woman dead, the old nature, and you're not an old wineskin, you're a new wineskin, and you know what happens? The new wine that comes from Zion, the new wine of the Lord, poured out all of a sudden because you're new wineskin, you are able to hold and contain this wine. If you're old wineskin, you can hold the wine for a little bit. Not for a long time. Why? Because little holes are going to grow. Little holes are going to form in old wineskin because this new wine is powerful. It will eat through the old. And if you're an old wineskin, the new wine is going to flow out and you're going to be empty. No new wine to pour unto others. And it's so powerful when you consider it and when you think this way. Spiritually speaking, of you as a, a vessel of the Lord, not an old wineskin. You've reckoned the old man dead, the old woman dead, and you're carrying your cross. And just like Paul says, he is crucified with Christ. You and me, we can say the same thing. We are crucified with Christ. You know, a lot of times people say, oh yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, it's no small thing to say that. Remember, when Paul says that, it's Paul speaking. Or writing. It's Paul. Those are Paul's words. It's not to say that that is exclusively for Paul. But then you look at the life of Brother Paul. Beautiful Brother Paul. What do we see? A life of sacrifice. A life of death. And I'm not speaking, you know, jumping off a bridge kind of death. I'm speaking of the death that says, Lord, not my will, thy will. No matter what. And Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. And when you do these things, you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, you're carrying your cross, and it's like, Lord, not my will, thy will. You are crucified with Christ. It's very powerful when you start to think this way because you know what? The works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, those are things that are dangerous in the life of a Christian. And I've been accused. People say, oh, you teach works-based salvation. No, works is a debt. Never forget works is a debt in accordance with what Brother Paul teaches, the Word of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul starts to speak about his debt 
and to barbarians. That's his work. It works as debt. And what is the debt? To save them, that they might be saved, both Jew and Gentile. Works is a debt. I'm not talking about being saved by works. We're saved by grace, but then at the same time, you know, as the, these past chapters that we looked at in Romans, does that, does that mean we sin more so that grace can abound? No way. We are new creations in Christ. What is my reasonable service, Paul? What do I do? What do I do? Do I write a check for a thousand? Do I write a check for ten thousand? Do I write a check for, you know, a hundred? Do I write a check for fifty? Five bucks? Paul says, no. And I say the same. No. Present your body a living sacrifice. That's your reasonable service. What do I do? Do I go serve in tables? Do I go feed the homeless? Do I do that? No. Present your body a living sacrifice. This is obedience unto the Lord. And what is obedience? It's better than the fat of rams. It's better than any offering. Now, I'm not denying those things. I'm not saying, hey, don't feed the homeless. Hey, don't do this ministry. Hey, don't serve in tables. Hey, don't tithe. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord because when you live, when you make a choice, cognizant choice to deny self, acknowledge the Lord and live for him and glorify him, he will speak to you and he will guide you and he will change you. He will transform you. It's not works-based to be like, okay, I have to reckon the old man dead. I have to reckon the old woman dead. I'm going to be a robot. Bing, bing, bing. No way. It doesn't work that way. Just like the Nazarite vow that we studied is to say, Lord, what can I do for you? What do I do? And then boom, you're a living sacrifice. You come to Jesus alive, fully understanding your death at the same time. Which is what? What is your death? Remember our study in Romans 7? Married to the law, but with death, like marriage. You know, you hear me, the, Paul writes about marriage. He equates it to marriage. Because you have a husband and wife, they're married. And then all of a sudden, say, the wife dies. And then the husband, who is he married to? No, the marriage contract is over. You have a husband and wife that are married. The husband dies. Who is the woman married to? Who is the wife married to? No, the marriage contract is over. Why? Because it's re life is required for those that, that to happen, you know? The, the, the vow between husband and wife, but then when one dies, it's over. And that's what Paul writes about in Romans 7, our marriage to the law. And with death, your death and my death, with our death to the law, we go down in the water, water baptism. We come up out of the water, and boom, that's your gravesite. Put a tombstone. I'm going to picture a tombstone right there. Here lies, you know, old wineskin. Here lies new wineskin, or here lies old wineskin. You see, that's your tombstone, that where, where your water is. And then you come up out of the water, boom, you're alive. A new creation, dead to the law, your prior marriage to the law, and alive, and you have a new marriage. You come up out of the water, you're available. You know, spiritually speaking. And that's why Paul says, be married to Jesus Christ. It's much better to be married to Jesus Christ. 
And people don't think that way. Even in the church, they don't think like, wow, you know, you know, we're saved by grace. Praise the Lord in school. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the strip club. You know, oh, cool. Praise the Lord. I'm a Christian. God is good. God is gracious. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead. You know, I'm going to get high tonight. I'm going to get drunk tonight. No, but don't think that way. That's the carnal. That's the old man. That's the old woman. And that person is dead. And you know who has to kill it? You do. You do. How? When you carry your cross, your instrument of death. And then you can proclaim, I am crucified with Christ. Why? Because you're dead. And you're alive in Christ. You are married to Christ. Present your body as a living sacrifice. And how beautiful this is, which is, he says, holy, acceptable to God, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Translates as rational and logical. You see? Rational and logical. And it's so beautiful when we see this happen. But then at the same time, he goes further in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Very interesting to be to fashion alike. Do not be conformed to this world, he says. And does that ring a bell? Because if you hearken to our study in chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also proorizo, he also predestined. A predetermined destination. We studied that. He also proorizo this predetermined destination destination to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to be fashioned to the image of his son. Not to the world, as 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to the world, but be conformed to Jesus in the image of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? He says this in verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2. But be transformed. Transformed. Metamorpho in the Hebrew is to be changed by the renewing of your mind. You see? And this word for renewing is restoration. You see people restore their homes. They buy an old, you know, home and it's all run down. It's all beat up. They buy it and then they fix it up. Renovation. A gut job. And that's what the Lord does inside of you, inside of me, inside of all who believe. You come to Jesus Christ dirty. That's why, you know, you hear me say, I don't care if you're a crackhead. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care whatever baggage you bring. But when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to the door, you know what? You leave the bags at the door. Fully understanding that you're about to die. Metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, your old nature is going to die. Why? Because God loves you. And he desires to do good things inside of you. He desires to bless you. To work inside of you. To clean you up. But he's a gentleman. He's not going to say, hey, I'm knocking at the door. And if you don't, if you don't answer, I'm going to kick it in. And you know what? I'm going to make you cook me dinner. He doesn't say that. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you hear me, I will come in and I will sup with you. Intimacy. That's what he desires. And when he knocks, you answer. If you're a non-believer, when he knocks, you answer. I pray that you answer because God loves you. I mean, I've searched high and low. Can you tell me a better way? There is no better way. I've searched high and low. You know, seeking after this, seeking after that, and everything left me in the trash heaps. Everything. And it was the Lord who found me. 
and I praise his holy name. And it's him who says, hey, I want you to tell people about me. It's like, you know, okay, Lord. It wasn't that, you know, I'm simplifying it. It, it. You know, I fought with him too. But praise be to the Lord, because for such a time as this, you're hearing my voice right now, and I'm telling you that God loves you. And it's not just some, you know, uh, cheesy statement that you hear, you know, it's just, it's, I'm under orders. I'm under orders. And God, your Father in heaven, the creator of all things, wants you to know this. That he loves you. It doesn't matter. Whatever. You know, you crackhead, prostitute, whatever, tax cheat, liar, you know, whatever, whatever situation. But as the saying goes, Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. Once you come to Jesus Christ, you have to allow him to do this renovation in your heart, in your body, in your mind, in your soul. And that's what this translates in the Greek in verse 2, the renewing of your mind, the renovation of your mind. And that's how he says, be transformed, metamorpho in the Greek, to be changed. And this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The renewing of your mind, which is the, the mind is the intellect, the thought, the feeling, the will and understanding. And that's what the Lord wants to change. I meant like in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You know, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy to meditate on these things. Carnal people can't meditate like that. They can't dwell on these things. They can't because they're carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Carnal people can't do that. And you know what? Outside the church and inside the church. Inside the church too. Why? Because the pastors don't teach them. Hey, if your mind is on dirty things, dirty thoughts, you need to repent. You need to repent. Oh, but it's not. A, it's only a sin if I act on it. Really? Look at your mind. You're not meditating on what is virtuous, noble. Is dwelling and thinking about crack, is that noble? Is that pure? Is that lovely? Is that praiseworthy? Thinking about sex and drugs, is that praiseworthy? Is that pure? I love how the Lord raises the bar. He said, wait a second, I'm not a crackhead, you know, I'm not going out getting prostitutes. I'm, well, you're thinking about it. What's in your mind? And the Lord raises the bar and then all of a sudden, you know, you understand this and you repent and it's like, wow, Lord, you know what? I don't even think this way anymore. I don't even think about the crack. I don't even think about the alcohol. I don't even think about the sex. And I bring every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ. Thus fulfilling in verse 2 being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you may discern, is how that translates, what is good and acceptable and perfect will, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You see? I can't tell you how many times people ask me, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, okay. There's the basics. Walk with Him. Be in the Word. Pray. You know, beyond that, there's kind of generalities, which is only, a person can only give you generalities. 
you know, to have intimacy with him. And I say generalities, but, you know, because the Lord has a will for you. He has his desire for you. And sometimes people say, well, you know, there's God's will and then there's God's perfect will. I hate it when people say that. There's God's will, but then there's his perfect will. You know, it's like saying that there's imperfection with the Lord. I don't like that. Are you implying, you know, people tell me that there's God's will and then there's his perfect will. So, you know, he has two wills. You know, his will isn't perfect. No, it's man that's bipolar. It's man that is tossed by every wind of doctrine. And it's man that attempts to explain God accordingly. God's will is perfect. Period. How do you know it? How do you know the will of God? Verse 2 explains to us at the end, the last part of verse 2, that you may discern or prove. You may discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Carnal people can't do that. That's the danger of carnality. Milk drinkers, they can't do that. And milk is good. Milk is beautiful. But remember, it's for babies. Milk is a very beautiful form of diet for babies. But when a baby grows up, that baby has to learn to eat meat again. Or meat, eat meat. Meat eaters. There's not a lot of meat eaters in the church. And I don't say that boastfully. But there's not a lot of meat eaters in the church. A lot of milk drinkers. And that's dangerous. Very dangerous. For oneself. For a family. For a church. For a fellowship. It's very dangerous. Because what happens when you have a church people who believe in Jesus Christ, but there's no conforming to Him. There's no transformation. There's no renewing of the mind. And then carnality enters the church, and with carnality comes all kinds of mess. With carnality comes the hypocrisy. And a lot of pastors, a lot of elders... Now, because of carnality entering the church, instead of using sound doctrine, they use the heavy imposition of church government. You know, a lot of, you know, I I love the word of God, and I mean, no disrespect to the word of God, but a lot of people, a lot of pastors, they use Matthew 18 for church government, which I understand, I get from a doctrinal perspective, I understand. But from an applicational perspective, I think it's a cop-out. I think it's a cop-out. Because pastors are too chicken to tell the congregants, to tell the members, to tell the congregation, hey, you need to repent. Hey, this sex that I'm hearing about, you need to repent. Cut it out. You, you know, we'll have private conversations, but I don't want you in the fellowship anymore. Because you're a wolf. You and I, you know, we can have our private conversations. You say, oh, that's so mean, that's so hurtful. But, you know, there's warning one, warning two, warning three. And it's like, look, you know, no more. Because a pastor, the elders, they feed the sheep. 
But then they also protect the sheep from wolves. There's the duality. Feed and protect. It's very important to understand these things. But because you have pastors who are too chicken to correct another brother or another sister. And I don't say that like, you know, heavy handedly, like, you know, like, oh, you know, you are, you know, it's, it's nothing like it's, it's in a lot of all the times. All the times I've had to correct another brother or another sister. It's very difficult. Because you have such immense love for them. Such immense, immense love for them. And in a lot of times, you're looking out for their soul more than they're looking out for their own soul. To tell a brother, hey, you know what? When you stand before the Lord, I don't want this against you. And therefore, it's I have to do this. And it's not like me wanting to do this. It's, it's reactionary. It's like, you know, because you've made this choice, now I have to do this for my own obedience to the Lord. To glorify Him. To honor Him. It's like, okay, you know, a person chooses disobedience. A person chooses to do X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden, I'm on board with X, Y, Z. Yeah, I love the guy. Yeah, I love the lady. But I'm on board with X, Y, Z now. Now you know who's in sin? I am. And I'm going to stand before the Lord too. I'm terrified. That freaks me out. That scares me. And I want to be obedient unto him. Remember, he's the head pastor of every church. He is the head pastor. And to tell a brother, hey, I, you know, I want you to take a break. I want you to, you know, don't do this anymore. You know, and we're going to, you know, next month we'll talk. In a couple months we'll talk. And, you know, we're going to pray. But no, this can't happen anymore. You see, and it's so beautiful. The aftermath of, you know, sometimes people will say, you know what? You're so stupid. I'm out of here. It's like, okay, you're breaking my heart. And I always tell people, I want you to hate me. Please take all your hate, take all your anger, take all, take a hundred percent of it all out on me. Never take it out on Jesus Christ. And like you're helping them for a return to Jesus Christ, a return to the Lord. And maybe they'll get to a point where it's like, wow, you know what? And you can talk with them and say, yeah, you know what? Let's fellowship again. Just like, you know, we're going to study that when we get into Corinthian letters. The brother who he says, you know, take this brother and kick him out of the church. But then you get to 2 Corinthians and in the course of time, he says, hey, take this brother and bring him back. Bring him back into the fold. But what I want to know is, where is the change? People say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And then all of a sudden, wow, you know, you think you're talking to a brother, you think you're talking to a sister. And you, you, you know, you are for to a certain degree. And then, you know, you start talking, it's like, oh yeah, my ex-husband. Oh, oh I, I didn't know you were married. Oh yeah, my ex-husband, I hate him, you know. Um, I'm suing him for everything, you know. That guy is such a, and then all of a sudden, expletive, expletive, expletive. And you're kind of like in shock, like, oh, sister. Well, this is, you know, what are you saying? Why are you speaking this way? Why are you speaking this way? It's not good. It brings dishonor unto the Lord. Where's the change? You know, I knew you before you came to Christ, and now you're in Christ, and you're talking worse than when you were, you know, before. What's happening? 
don't, don't judge me lest you be judged. I'm not trying, you know, I'm not telling you you're going to burn in hell. I've taken the plank out of my own eye and now I can see clearly. Where's the change? Where's the renewing of the mind? Where's the renovation of the mind? Oh, but I don't know the will of God. Well, you don't know the will of God because of carnality. Instead of being conformed to Jesus Christ, you're being conformed to the world. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, there is no transformation. Because you don't allow Jesus Christ to do the gut job inside of your mind, inside of your heart. Straight up renovation. You know what's so sad? The passage in Revelation where Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I knock and if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. He says that to the church. He says that to the church. You say, what's wrong with that? Why is Jesus Christ on the outside? Why is there a letter to the church? Why is there this mention to the church of Jesus Christ being on the outside? Red letters in Revelation. Why did... Why does it I stand at the door? I'm on the outside. And if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. And it's to the church. What happened to the church? I could say, what happens to the church? I could also say, what in the world is happening to the church? How is it that Jesus Christ is on the inside? And in the course of time, he's on the outside. Why does that happen? How does that happen? Carnality. Refusing to be conformed to Jesus Christ and being conformed to the world. It's a choice. Being a milk drinker. Remember, milk is good for babies. But is milk good for the mature? No. Meat is good for the mature. Deep, deep, deep spiritual things of the Holy Word, Holy Scripture. You know, moving aside from the elementary things as we read about in Hebrews 5 and 6. To mature in Christ. And it's so beautiful when it happens because all of a sudden there's this clear understanding. And it's male, female. It doesn't matter. You know, pastoral leadership, elders, that's male. Everything, you know, beyond that, deacons can be female. Diaconos. Deacons, service, even teachers. Not teachers unto men, but like teachers, women's ministry. You see, it's, it's for everybody. And so look what happens here in verse three. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is speaks of vanity and arrogance. Don't think of yourself more highly than he ought to think. And he says, but to think soberly. And this is humility, to think in, in all humility, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Remember, faith can grow. Faith can grow. And it's to be humble before the Lord in all humility. Don't think of yourself as like, wow, you know, I'm this great expositor of the Bible. I know this. I know that. Because I've spoken with the brainiacs before. And there's a lot of pride in knowledge. You, you know, you might have had encounters with the so-called intellectual, the, the religious establishment, the intelligentsia. You might have had interactions with them. I have. And there's a lot of pride there. A lot of pride. 
You know, oh, you know, where did you go to school? Where did you do this? Where did you? It's like, well, what does the Bible say? I don't care about your seminary degree. I don't care about your PhD in this. I don't care about any of that. What does the Bible have to say? The word of God. He's the final authority. The word became flesh. Or are you presenting another Jesus? Are you presenting a pseudo? Are you presenting a foe? Are you presenting the fake? Are you presenting the plastic? You see? I want the real. I want Jesus Christ, the word of God. For me, in my own walk, and also for his people. For his flock, for his congregation. So it's to think soberly, and that's humility. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, and to understand that as he deals to each one a measure of faith, to understand that faith can grow. Say, what do you mean faith can grow? Well, turn with me really quick to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look what is written here in James 1. He says, Brother James, he says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That right there is counterintuitive. Like carnally speaking, fleshly speaking. Count it joy to be into various trials. And, and, you know, some translations, and, and it says when you are surrounded with various trials. What? Brother James, this is joy? Yes, it's not joy to the carnal, but it's joyful for the spiritual to the one who has been conformed to Jesus Christ, to the one who has been transformed by Jesus, to, by Jesus Christ, by the renewing of his or her mind. That's when it becomes joy. In James 1 verse 2, uh, count, it joy when, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So what is the will of the Lord? What is the will of the Lord? Well, carnality will blind you and deafen you to the will of the Lord. Why? Because just as is written in chapter two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2 of Romans, that you may uh, uh, prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, with carnality, you're not going to understand that. Which means what? You're going to have a steady diet of milk, which isn't good. It's not good at all because you need to grow. You need to mature. Brother James continues in chapter 1, verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You say, okay, well, how does this tell me that faith grows? Well, in chapter 2, verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? He's speaking about Abraham, who was justified by works in verse 21. But in chapter 2, verse 22, Brother James says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. You see? 
by works his faith was made perfect. Now, when James writes about Abraham here, he points to Genesis and you see obedience, the obedience of Abraham. That's why you hear me say faith and works, works and faith is the exact same of belief and obedience. Obedience and belief, belief and obedience, the two work together. Oh, but I believe already. I believe already. Okay, you do well. But like in verse 19, James 2, Brother James says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Yes, belief in Jesus Christ is good. But even the demons believe. Where is obedience? Are demons obedient to Jesus Christ? No way. Are you obedient to Jesus Christ? I pray yes. Am I obedient to Jesus Christ? We're in the same boat. I'm not teaching or preaching at you. We're in the same boat. Understand that faith can grow. How does faith grow? Well, through obedience. By works, faith was made perfect in verse 22. Let's go back to Romans. Romans 12. In verse 4. For we, as we have many members in one body, translates as body parts. You know, I mean, you look at your own body. You have all these digits called fingers. You have hands. You have elbows. You have shoulders. You have knees. You have feet. You know, you have all these different body parts, external and internal. He says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the same members do not have the same function. You know, I'm not going to run a marathon, you know. Uh, on, on on my hands. I'm not going to run a marathon that way. I'm going to use my legs and my feet. Different functions. You see? And so look what happens here. He says, uh, 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 but all have uh, uh, in one body, but all have the mum. all have the, in verse 4, all have the members, uh, uh, do not have the same function. You see, it's like, you know, the hand has one foot function, the foot, the brain, the heart, different functions. But we're all, it's all in the same body. I mean, my hand is part of my body. Your hand is part of your body. Your brain, part of your body. Your feet, your toes, your fingers, your fingernails, your ears, your nose, eyes, everything. It's all part of your body. You know, I got some too. You know, it's part of mine too. Different functions. I don't see with my toes. You see? I don't hear with my thumbs. And this is what he says here. In verse 5, So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, we have different gifts, different functions, different ministries. But we're all one in the body of Christ. This is very intimate because you're getting a little picture of koinonia. Oneness, fellowship of the saints. Oneness. Having then gifts, he says in verse 6, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Remember, and faith grows. 
in proportion to our faith. So you might have a certain gift and you're using it in one manner, but then like a year later, it's going to be even more exemplified in 10 years, even more so. Why? Because it's in proportion to your faith, which is growing. How does it grow? Through obedience. What Brother James tells us, it can grow. So you see, we're one body with many parts, and people have told me before, well, since we're one body, how come we don't have union with the Episcopals, with the Lutherans, with with this church, with this fellowship, with that fellowship? Because I can't. I can't. You say, wait a second, that's unbiblical. You're talking about we're one body with many parts. Why are you saying you can't? Doctrine, sound doctrine. You see, I can't have, I've had pastors contact me before. Hey, we're going to have, you know, this is before COVID. Oh, we're going to have like, you know, a, a, a men's fellowship or a marriage retreat. You know, do you want to join us? You know, you, you your church, you know, we're going to have a blast. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm like, well, you know, uh, um, you know, if it's a church that I know about, it's like, you know, no, thanks. I mean, if I know they're, you know, in bad doctrine, but the Lutherans call the Episcopals call. Yeah, you know, invite you, we invite your church over here. It's like, no, you know what? Because these are God's sheep. These are God's people. And I'm not going to sanction, like, you know, I'm not going to uh, uh, um, subsidize false doctrine by saying that, hey, this is okay. We're going to go here and learn from this guy who starts talking about, you know, same-sex marriages, that it's okay, that this guy is going to bless same-sex marriages. No, it's, you know, and if you're same-sex, you know, same-sex couple, you know, I want you to know I love you, but biblically speaking, you need to repent because there's an abomination before the Lord. And, you know, I tell you this, you know, because I love you, but then God loves you too. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, so it's like, you know, to protect the sheep, to feed the sheep, to, 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 to feed them the truth of God's holy word. But then at the same time, there's the protection aspect. So, you know, yes, one body. But then what is the body? Is it a mutilation? If it's a mutilation, no, that's not the body. What do you mean a mutilation? Well, the word became flesh. We have the word of God before us. Am I going to subject God's flock, whatever size it is, one, one hundred, or a thousand? If it's just one, praise be to the Lord. If it's a thousand, praise be to the Lord. Am I going to subject subject that individual, those families? Am I going to subject God's people to another fellowship that goes grave soaking? No way. Why? Because it's unbiblical. It's not pleasing to the Lord. It's an abomination to the Lord. Why in the world would I do that? Then I become disobedient. You see? And God is not pleased. It's not good. And so look what happens here. You know, we understand, okay, yes, we're one body, but where's sound doctrine? But we're supposed to love people. Yes, we're supposed to love people. But never love people more than God. Remember, first, love God. Love God with all your might, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then, love people. You see? First is God. 
Yes, I love people. I love people. I love people. I love people. And you know, they're in sin. Hey, you know what? You know, I love you. I love you so much. But, you know, this isn't right before the Lord. I love you, but I love God more. And because I love God more, I have to tell you, you need to repent and cut this out. You see? Love God more. That's why Satan, he gets, he focuses, you know, love people, love people, love people. It's beautiful to love people. And Satan wants you to forget about loving God. And he wants you to forget about fearing God. So you love people, love people, love people, love people, love people. Oh, same sex. Let me bless your same-sex marriage. You know, let me bless your, 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 your home that, you know, you do the occult in. You do Ouija boards in. You know, let me bless this. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Because blessings are of the Lord. Blessings are not of man. Blessings are of the Lord. I mean, they can be of man, but they're going to fail. Blessings of the Lord will never fail. It's so beautiful when you see Goshen in a home, Goshen in a life, Goshen in a people. That's the body of Christ, koinonia. And remember, you know, in our hearken to our studies, just in, in Romans 11, there's a remnant according to grace. And so look what happens here in verse 6. Having then, having then gifts, differing, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts, translates as to encourage or comfort, in exhortation. Remember, many parts, one body. You know, you, you, you see pastors burn out. You see people in ministry, whatever ministry, you see them burn out. Why? Because they're trying to do everything. They're trying to, you know, you've a pastor, he's trying to do everything. But no, if a pastor is called to teach, teach. And somebody says, oh, you know, pastor, we have a problem over here. Okay, figure it out. You know, maybe the Lord is, you know, putting something on your heart. And, you know, as, you know, don't, not just a warm body. You don't say, hey, figure it out to a warm body and say, hey, you do No, a godly person of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Just like, you know, what Acts teaches us, Acts 6, choosing uh, seven men. It doesn't have to be men, you know. Well, for whatever position, if it's a pastor or elder, it has to be men. You see, but females... A female comes and says, hey, pastor, we got a problem over here. Well, how did you learn about this problem? Well, you know, I noticed this, you know, a couple months ago, and I didn't want to say anything. I've been praying about it, and it's just, it's really on my heart. Okay, come here. Let's talk about this. Have a seat. You know, let's sit down. Tell me more about this. You know, and you know, you, you know the life. You know, you see the, the fruit of the Spirit, hopefully not the fruit of the flesh. And you say, you know what, sister? I wonder if the Lord has put this on your heart for a reason. Maybe this is something that He wants you to do. And you know what? Let's let's see. Let's see if that's the case. Let's pray about it more. And let's just see. And this is how ministries happen. This is how ministries start. You know, you see churches in certain ministries, and it's like it's so beautiful to see. Because it's the Lord that's doing it in whatever capacity, one body with many parts. But then when you see a church that is reactionary to a situation, you know, like, you know, oh, you know, it, it becomes more of a, 
habitat for humanity kind of thing. And I'm not saying habitat for humanity is a bad thing. You know, habitat for humanity, they do good things for the community. But if the Lord has not done it, if the Lord has not called a person into that capacity to serve Him in that capacity, don't do it. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. Sometimes people confuse benevolence with the will of God. Oh, I just want to serve my community. I want to do some good. So therefore, I'm going to be a pastor. Whoa. You know, the Lord must build the house. Always, 100% of the time, the Lord must do it. And the Lord must call it and call you. And He desires to. He desires to use you. He desires to bless. He desires to use vessels. But in accordance with His, with his word. How he teaches us, how he calls people. And so let's continue here. You know, pastors burn out because they're doing it all. And if you're a pastor and you know you're listening and you feel exhausted because you're doing it all, well, don't do it all. Maybe if the Lord called you to teach, teach. Fulfill your ministry. That might mean other areas. You say, hey, you know, I want you to do this. Talk to your elders. Say, elders, I want you to have oversight of this. You know, and if we have to pray and make these decisions for, you know, shutting this down or shutting that down, you know, that's fine. We just need to be in the will of the Lord. That's it. In the will of the Lord. For the sake of His people. To glorify Him, to honor Him, and for the sake of His people. Feeding the sheep and protecting the sheep. We're living in crazy times. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, understand that these days are getting evil. These days are getting darker and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And your role as protector of the sheep will increase even more. Your role as feeder of the sheep will increase even more. I find something kind of interesting that's happening in these last days. I'll table it for another day. <laughs> Sorry. We'll see how bad things get, but we'll table that for a couple, you know, we'll see what happens. So look what happens here in verse 8. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So what do we see here? We see prophecy, we see ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, merciful, one body with many parts, people serving in those capacities. Look at Paul and Barnabas. Paul, a beautiful teacher. I, I, I can't think of any teacher that is better than Paul. Paul is like, whoa, he just blows me away. Old Testament, New Testament, he blows me away. And I love him so much, I can't wait to meet him. But remember, there was a beef that he had with Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The Bar name Barnabas wasn't his real name. That was the moniker that was given to him by the apostles, the son of encouragement, Barnabas. So he had this exhortation ministry, comforting ministry, the son of encouragement, how, how much of an encouragement he was in the body. And even he bumped heads with Paul, you know, for the sake of another, his cousin, Mark. 
We studied this in the book of Acts. But then you read Paul's letter, the future letters, and you see, wow, there's Mark. Mark is back. This thing, whatever chasm, whatever disagreement, it was resolved. And now Mark is, you know, their friendship is restored. You see how beautiful this is? One body, many parts. Now, a lot of times people today, oh, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. That was for another dispensation. I reject that. I reject that. You never see an expiration date on the gifting, on the moving, on, on, on how the Holy Spirit moves. You never see an expiration date. But a lot of people like to teach it. Oh, that was for another dispensation. You know, one of these gifts is prophesying. In verse 6, if prophecy, let us prophesy. Who is it that has the gift of prophecy? Very few people I have met that have the gift of prophecy. People say it. I've met people that call themselves prophets. I've met people that call themselves prophetess. But their so-called prophecies are of themselves, of their belly, or demonic. Why? Because we test the spirits. You have to test the spirits to see whether they're of the Lord or not. You know, people say, oh, I'm a prophetess. I'm a prophetess. The Lord is telling me this. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Well, his word says this. Are you telling me that, you know, the Lord is contradicting his word with this prophecy? Oh, you know, oh, but the Lord just, he put it on my heart. I felt it in my bosom, you know, and this is the moving of the Holy Spirit. No, it is. you need to test the spirits. Don't forget that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. You need to test the spirits. Oh, but the Lord told me this. That's not the Lord. How long have you been listening to that? Oh, my whole life or, you know, since I've been married, I've been listening my whole life. Okay, let's look at your life. Look at the fruit of this voice you're listening to. It's garbage. And you're heeding this voice? No, that's another Jesus. That's a foe. That's a plastic. That's a pseudo. Another Jesus. Satan presents himself as an angel of light. It's not of the Lord. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here, but the proof is in the pudding. And so look what happens here. In verse, um, he who leads with diligence, in verse 8, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then understand too, the greatest gift is love. The greatest gift. Never, ever forget the greatest gift is love. And we're going to study that when we get into our letter to the Corinthians. He says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy or pretense. Let love be without pretense, hypocrisy. It must be real and genuine. That's what it means. That's what it must be without pretense. Don't fake it. And if your so-called love is not love, you need to repent and you need to change. And you need to be conformed to the image of Christ. Be transformed by renewing of your minds. Because a lot of people, they fake it. They say, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this ministry. Look how awesome I am. I'm doing this ministry. Look how holy I am. But they're mean. They're jerks. You know, here, here's your food. Here, here's this. And they're like Martha's. 
you know, here's this, here's this, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you need to be in the word. You need to be at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. You know, wow, you're mean. How can you do that in the body? I've heard people say, oh yeah, this person, he's awesome. She's awesome in this ministry. But you got to be careful. You can't make him mad because she's like a bull in a china shop. He's like a bull in a china shop. Wait a second. What you're calling the china shop, you know, what you're calling these vessels that can be broken, that's God's people. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be without pretense. Some people, they like to show love because they have ulterior motives. They want to get, oh yeah, I love you. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? Yeah, I, I love you, brother. You know, here, look, you know, you know, I, I, here, I, I baked some cookies for you, brother. Oh, look, I love you. Oh, by the way, you know, can I borrow $5,000? What? You know, let your love be without pretense, without hypocrisy. In verse 9, abhor or detest what is evil, cling to what is good or cleave to what is good. You know what I love about these passages? They're so basic. They're so basic. They're not hard at all. They're just so basic. And even in light of what we studied in Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, which is, you know, those are very, from a doctrinal perspective, those are very heavy chapters, very heavy chapters. And so we get to 12, chapter 12, and it's like, wow, talk how simple this is, the beauty of simplicity. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, with Philadelphia love. You know, the city of love, city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, brotherly love. He says here to be kindly affectionate is to be fond and cherish the body of Christ. Cherish your brother, cherish your sister in Christ and, you know, with brotherly love. Now, I have to say, this is very dangerous in a carnal church. Verse 10 is very dangerous in a carnal church. It's dangerous in the last days when the church becomes very carnal. The last days church is either false, it's apostate, or it's true. And sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, a lot of times, certain things of the Bible, beautiful, beautiful things, can become harmful in the last days. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, when nobody fears the Lord. When nobody fears the Lord. I mean, people fear the Lord. But when the multitude, when they don't fear the Lord, when you have a false church or an apostate church, they don't teach the fear of the Lord. And then you're going to teach that person, verse 10, be kindly affectionate. Be fond towards your brother. Be fond towards your sister. Show them brotherly love. Show them love. It's like, wait a second. You're a carnal guy. You're a carnal lady. And Paul says, you know, a, a, a kiss. Give them a kiss, you know. Whoa, you know, you're going to teach these things to a carnal church, to milk drinkers? And not just milk drinkers, uh, 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 people who adhere to false teachings, false doctrine. Churches who teach that it's okay to go grave soaking. To go to cemetery, take like a, 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 a youth group. 
to go grave soaking, to go to the youth group event, you know, have this concert, what they call a worship service. It's a concert. And they put little, little glitter bags on the ceiling. And they have like the control guy in the back. And, you know, they, they say, okay, when we say this or when this happens or when the drum does this, you know, and at this solo, this guitar solo, then, you know, we want you to pull this and activate this. And it opens those bags and it's the glitter falls down. And it's all orchestrated. And so they're playing the music, you know, and you have this youth group, you know, kids, teenagers, 15, 16 year old. And they have this, you know, concert, they call it a worship service. And they're playing, it's just like a rock concert. And then all of a sudden the guy hears the cue, boom, hits the button and boom, these bags blow up. And the, the glitter falls down and the, the worship leader, starts, so-called worship leader, starts to say, wow, look, the Holy Spirit is falling down on us. And it's just straight up glitter. And then after the, no, no teaching in the word, no teaching in the word, maybe a topical. And then, oh, by the way, when this is over, we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to get in the bus and we're going to go to this grave site. And there's this, you know, the Christian couple, they're dead now, but they're buried here. And we're going to take the youth group and we're going to go do grave soaking. You know, where's the ministry leaders, the pastors, the elders, where's the parents, you know? I say, where's the pastors, where are the elders? But you know what? Scratch them. Where are the parents? The parents who read their Bible and say, wait a second, this isn't right. You know, hey, son, hey, daughter, you're not going to go there. So you, you don't have the word of God in a fellowship. You don't have no fear of the Lord. You're doing something that is an abomination before the Lord, grave soaking. You're faking the Holy Spirit by calling the Holy Spirit glitter. And then you're going to teach, you know, 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old, you know, youth group. You're going to teach them about, you know, uh, be kindly affectionate to one another. To, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. To be fond of them. To be affectionate towards them. And what about when Paul says, a kiss, give them a kiss. That's why I say this is dangerous to a carnal church. This is dangerous in a false church, in an apostate church. It is very dangerous. Why? Because nobody fears the Lord. You see? A pastor embraces somebody. A pastor embraces a sister in Christ. I love you, sister. And then all of a sudden, somebody else says, Oh, look, the pastor's doing it, so I'm going to do it too. And they're carnally minded. Sometimes the pastor is carnally minded. Sometimes the elder is carnally minded. And the elder starts to do sexual things with the youth group. You know, young girls. And I, I say these things, and I, I know it's gross. But it's happening. You can't deny it. Proof is in the pudding. You can't deny it's happening. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because look at what the church is missing out on. Philadelphia, Koinonia, the Ecclesia, the church is missing out. Yes, in the name of safety, I get it. I completely understand and I agree. But when a church loves the Lord and fears the Lord and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, Wow, that something beautiful is there. 
Outside of that, people start making up these crazy, oh, the 2,000 years ago, that was the Holy Spirit's ministry back then. It's not for today. It doesn't work that way anymore. But we'll go ahead and go grave soaking. <laughs> what? What's happening? Oh, that was for another dispensation. That was for 2,000 years ago. Oh, but look, look up at the ceiling. You see this glitter? That's the Holy Spirit. What? What is happening? You see? And so all of a sudden, you see here, to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference or deference is how it translates, which is respect and regards to one another. This is in the church, but you know what I say? Let it start at home. Love and respect in the home. Deference, respect and regard of one another in the home. Instead of, you know, a, a husband or a dad being, you know, a jerk to his wife and a jerk to his kids. And the wife the same way unto her husband and kids. And the kids the same way. Respect your parents. Respect your brothers. Respect your sisters. Let it start at home. And so all of a sudden we see, look what happens here. In um, verse 11, not lagging, not being slothful in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's like that reminds me of the Levites, you know, the Levitical priesthood where, you know, they're serving the Lord, but the people are the benefactors. The same concept is here. It's service unto the Lord, but the people are the benefactors. Rejoicing in verse 12, rejoicing in hope. And this word for hope is anticipation and the expectation. And not just that, confidence. Patient in tribulation. It's perseverance and to have fortitude. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, intimacy with the Lord. These are like so basic. There's nothing entirely difficult with these passages that we've read thus far. But in application, we do find difficulty. Do you know why? Carnality. Your old nature, which you haven't reckoned dead. My old nature, which I haven't reckoned dead. And we do it more and more and more and more and more and more. And you're going to keep doing it till the day you die. Because we all have room to die. We're all in the same boat. You see, in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, you know, you have a, a family in the church that's hard up, you know, here, here's your groceries, here, go get your groceries, here's your money, you know, here's your, go, go get your groceries, it's okay, oh, let me pay back, don't pay me back, it's okay, it's service unto the Lord, don't, don't pay me back. You see, it's helping the body. The body helping the body. I mean, look at your red, you get a cut on your hand. And you know, it bleeds, but then you know, it dries up, it scabs. But inside you have like all this activity with the white blood cells, the red blood cells, everything's happening and the body starts repairing itself. And in the course of time, that scab starts to get, you know, it starts to dry even more. It starts to flake off. And then you look, it's like, but well, I don't have a cut anymore. It's been healed. The body healed the body. It's the same exact thing in the body of Christ. A family hurts. Okay, let's pray for this family. Let's support this family. 
same exact thing. The body healing the body. I mean, the Lord heals the body, but the body helping the body. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality or pressing toward hospitality, which translates as the love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. Just like in the Old Testament, in the law, provisions where, you know, this person's not a Jew, this person's a sojourner in the wilderness. And so say, you know, hey, take this person in, take this family in, bring them in the camp. It's not just to take anybody, but, you know, somebody who says, wow, you know what, I believe in the God of Israel. Okay, come on. You're part of the camp. You're part of the tribes. And Old Testament examples of Gentiles being grafted into the church or being grafted into Israel. Gentiles. I mean, picture people who are Moabites. You know, people who are uh, Canaanites. People who are Hittites. You see, or Midianites. And then all of a sudden, you know, they hear, wow, look what God did with Israel. Look at Egypt. Where's the, the, the armies, the mighty armies of Egypt and it's destroyed. Whoa. I thought they were God on earth. They said that they were God on earth. I thought Pharaoh was God on earth. Now look at him. The God of Israel has reduced them to rubble. Whoa, that is power. And I used to worship the gods of Egypt. I used to worship Pharaoh as God on earth. And now that he's nothing, I realize the God of Israel. What if you're a, a, a Midianite? It's like, well, I'm going to leave Midian and I'm going to find these Hebrew people in the wilderness. And then you find somebody, you know what, I, you know, you know, my name is whatever, you know, I'm a Midianite. And, you know, I used to believe that, you know, Pharaoh was God. That he was God on earth. They were so powerful. And I see what your God has done. And I believe him. I acknowledge him as Lord. And I want him to be my God. You know, and there's laws. There's provisions in the law, statutes in the law. That when that happens, you take this person, you take this family, and you bring them into the camp. You graft them in. And they can partake of the feasts and the festivals. The sacrifice, the offerings. It's for them. You see? Grafting in. And so look what happens here. You know, the love of the stranger is given to hospitality. He says in verse 13, given to hospitality or pressing toward the love of the stranger. And that's the church. That's the Christian. That's you. That's me. The stranger. Now, we have to be wise too. We have to be very wise as these days get more evil, more evil, more evil. We have to be very wise. And the Lord directs. The Lord guides. Look at Ananias, the good Ananias in the book of Acts. And the Lord says, hey, Ananias, there's this guy named Saul, and I want you to bring him to your home. And Ananias like, Lord, Lord, are you sure this guy does these things, bad things to Christians? The church, he persecutes the Christians. And then the Lord, you know, reveals to Ananias, Ananias, he is my vessel. I'm going to use him. And then Ananias, okay, Lord, I will do it. As you say, I will do it. Obedience, you see? He was pressing toward uh, love of the stranger, and the stranger happened to be Saul. Later referred to as Paul. Formerly a persecutor of the church, a killer and imprisoner of Christians. And now look, one of the greatest teachers. I would say the greatest teacher. I mean, you know, it's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, you know, he's teaching the Lord. The Word became flesh. 
But wow, what a great teacher. We're reading his letter. You know, we're studying his letter. 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. But we're studying his writing. And how beautiful it is because, you know, what about your persecutors? Imagine a family destroyed at the work of Saul, destroyed by the hands of Saul. And what if there's, you know, like a wife, a surviving wife, whose husband and kids were killed by Saul. Oh, I hate this guy. Why He murdered my husband. He murdered my kids and did this all in the name of God. Wow, I can't stand him. I hate him. Yes, she's hurt. But then at the same time, you know, there's that evolution of pain, evolution of sorrow where it's sadness. And then, you know, maybe a year later too, it becomes anger. Well, this Saul is still alive. And she goes to church just mad and bitter. I'm so mad. I'm here in church and I'm fellowshipping. And man, I can't. And then she catches wind. What? This guy Saul? He's teaching? He's preaching Jesus Christ? He's preaching the gospel? What? You know, what if she was in a church in Macedonia? And then Paul received his call and he makes his way, you know, west and all of a sudden people are like, oh, Paul's coming to town. Paul is here. And he's like, what? You know, I used to live close to Jerusalem. I mean, you know, I'm giving the example. You know, the woman's like, I used to live close to Jerusalem. I used to live uh, close to uh, Tarsus. And this guy, Paul, he persecuted us. He killed my family. And then she moved. She relocated a widow, moved to Macedonia, and she catches wind. And I'm saying this because a lot of times we don't think in, in, we think about today only. We think about the right here and now. And sometimes it's appropriate to think about the right here and right now. I do it too. But don't forget that in this journey that we have in Christ and with Christ, that he can do mighty things. He has done, he is doing, and he will continue to do mighty things. For you, for me. For all who believe and all who ask in accordance with the will of the Father. Not in accordance with your will, but in accordance with the will of the Father. And it's so beautiful to remember because the church is going to go through some major persecutions pretty soon. Major persecutions. In, I, I speak in Western culture and I'm speaking about Western culture, but I know the church is undergoing some major persecutions today and it breaks my heart to persecute a church. In Africa, in Russia, in China, in the Middle East, all over the world, the church is suffering major, major, major persecutions. Death, beatings, rapes, beheadings, maimings, all kinds of different things. Burned in acid, thrown into acid pits. It's happening today. In the church, our brothers, our sisters... And it breaks my heart. It kills me. But you know what? This persecution, it's going to spread even more. It's going to get more intense. The spirit of the Antichrist hates Christians, hates Jews. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you and me, we can remember these passages. Look at what the Lord had done, has done with Saul. Remember that. 
And so look what happens here. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And I'm the first to admit, you know, uh, somebody persecutes me or kills somebody I love, I'm going to have a very hard time. Because I've had intimacy with anger. I've had intimacy with rage. I've had intimacy with violence. And extreme violence. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. A lot of times whenever I start to get angry, I feel like my heart pumping and I just start to get mad. I walk away. I've learned to walk away. I'll just walk away from a situation. Take a walk outside. Do whatever. But I'll get outside of that situation. Because it's not good if I stay in that environment. So I'll just walk away. But to bless those who persecute you. To pray for them. Look at, look at Stephen. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. To bless those who persecute you. And persecution, you know, it comes in all shapes and sizes. I speak about violence, you know, uh, rapings, murderings, beheadings, maimings, beatings. I speak about those things. But, you know, there are milder forms of persecution. And, you know, I can explain them, but there are milder forms of persecution. But are you blessing them? When persecution comes, are you blessing them? And you know what's so beautiful about when your heart has been uh, transformed by renewing of your mind, when you're conformed to the image of Christ and not of this world, and your, your mind changes, there's been a complete and total gut job inside of your mind, inside of your heart. What's so beautiful is that your thought towards the persecutors changes. Instead of hating them. You love them and have compassion on them. Why? Because it's so sad that you have individuals that do not know Jesus Christ. How life could be so much better for them. Have you ever had people make fun of you? They make fun of you. They call you names. They call you a legalist. And they hate you. They hate you. They hate you. They might not say, I hate you. I hate you. But by their words, by their actions, by their deeds, by their snide remarks... It's not love. Well, do you return that with love? Sacrificial. And it's service unto the Lord. And it's pleasing unto the Lord. Do you return their hate with love? It's very important. And it's beautiful. You know, it's so, it just blows me away so much. All these things that we see, how basic this is. Look at all the basics we've been reading in chapter 12 so far. And we've studied some major doctrinal issues in previous chapters. But these are pretty basic. And I love it so much. One time I was listening to a, you know, I love Michael Jordan. You know, I used to, I, I used to watch him play basketball, you know, when I was a kid. You know, he played an NBA player for the Chicago Bulls. He was the best player of like, you know, to this day, I say the best player of all time. But I remember listening to him when I was a kid. I was listening to him. We used to have fights, you know, who's going to beat Michael Jordan. We play basketball outside. You know, who's going to be Michael Jordan? He's like, oh, I'm going to be Michael Jordan. He's like, no, you're not. I'm going to be Michael Jordan. So we'd fight and we'd end up having wrestling matches. 
you know, and then all of a sudden so we play basketball. It's like whoever won the fight, they get to be Michael Jordan, you know, so like we'd play basketball and we would fight like who, who gets to be MJ. And then I listened to his interview when I was a kid. I listened to an interview and they're asking, what's your greatest attribute or what's the greatest, what's the most important aspect of your game? You know, he said the basics, everything he could do on the basketball court. I mean, they call him Air Jordan because he it looks like he walks on air. I mean, you watch him dribble a ball and move between people. It's like ballet. It's not, it's, 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 it's wild to see. It's like ballet, beautiful ballet, gracefully across the court. And then gracefully in the air. And then, you know, slam it down in the hoop. And, you know, and it's so beautiful to see. And then at the same time, you know, to hear him in an interview, and he says, it's the basics. It's like, what? That? You do all this? You do you weave in and out of people, you block, you do all these things, you can walk on air, you do all these things, and you're telling me the basics? Dribbling a ball? That's what the most important. And I love it because you know, I became a Christian and I started to learn these things, and I always remembered, wow, Michael Jordan, he says it's the basics. And then all these doc deep, deep, deep doctrinal things that we've studied in Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, boom, chapter 12, and look at what we're seeing here. The basics. The basics. Being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, blessing those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You see? It's like, wow, Lord, I forgot. It's so easy. I forgot, Lord, you know, all these, you know, deep, deep, deep doctrinal things, which isn't bad, you know, it's, 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 it's multifaceted. You know, the battlefield, training for battle, it's multifaceted. I mean, you look at like, you know, professional fighters and how they train. They get very intricate, very detailed on the mat in certain positions. But then part of their workout routine, part of their uh, warm-up routine is just, you know, going on a jog, going out on a run. Well, it's so basic. One foot in front of the other. It's so basic. That's part of their training regimen. Just like us with our walk in the faith, our walk with Jesus Christ. There are, you know, deep, 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 very intricate things as we train and roll around on the mat for whatever situation. We train this way. We train in this manner. But then at the same time, sometimes it's just a simple jog out on the beach, a little beach jog. You see? Basics. Blessing those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Me personally, this is my opinion. I think the church post-COVID, post-COVID will be entirely different. It will not be the same. Definitely, it won't be the same. And you know, because what we see today, you see in the body of Christ, you have all kinds of different factions. We're being stretched. The church is being stretched right now. You know, oh, we have to, we, you know, we're Americans. You know, we have our rights. You know, you know, the pastors, they have to demand that we're going to church. We have to do this. And I understand that, you know, I, I'm, I, I have red, white, and blue in my heart. But 
my blood bleeds Zion. And I understand. I get it. But don't forget, you know what Paul writes, what we're going to study in a little bit, well, in few, you know, a couple weeks. Submission unto government. And I'm not talking about like, you know, like I know that, that, that it, it, it hurts. It's abrasive to ears. It's abrasive to carnal ears. It's even abrasive to non-carnal ears. But this government that Paul says to submit to in the book of Romans, the Roman government, that's the very government that was persecuting the church that killed Christians. The cost of being a Christian was very heavy. And Paul says, submit to government. And I know that, wait a second, you know, we have constitutional rights. I, I teach from America. We have constitutional rights. And I love the constitutional rights. But just like Paul, don't forget that he was a Roman citizen. He had rights as a Roman citizen. And what did he do? He denied his Roman rights as a citizen. He denied them. For the sake of Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a second. He pleaded to Caesar, which was his right to do. Yeah, he did plead to Caesar. And it cost him imprisonment. He was under house arrest. It cost him his imprisonment, which ultimately led to his beheading. He denied his rights in, in service unto the Lord. And when he did use his rights, it was denial of his life. And we're going to study this next week when we get into chapter 13. We're going to study this deeper. You have these factions in the church that are like, oh, we got to fight the government. And if it means civil war, then yes, civil war. And you know what? We're not very far from civil war in America. There's a lot of divisions. But we're living in prophetic times. Ethnos against ethnos. Read Matthew 24. It's a sign of the times. These great divisions across multiple factions in America, the body at large, not just the church. I mean, the church is kind of like a subsect of people. And of this subsect, the church, you have the false church, the apostate church, and the real church, the true church. Prophetically speaking, look at all these events, ethnos, epi, ethnos against ethnos. And there's more. You know, where are the sons of Issachar? Who can discern? And so look what happens here. In, in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And you see, this is Intimacy that the church has, intimacy that Christians have with Jesus Christ and then also with one another. And you know what's sad? It breaks my heart to say this. It breaks my heart to teach this. But intimacy with, within the body of Christ, one another, it's highly, highly dangerous to the carnal. Because no fear of the Lord no fear of the Lord. Then you get all kinds of carnality entering the church. Sexual things, drug issues, alcohol issues. You know, you have all kinds of mess. And then you have pastors who want to be people's best friend. Instead of being a friend of God, they prefer to be a friend of people. 
Oh yeah, it's okay. I'm not. I, I won't correct you on this. I won't correct you on this. I won't correct you on that. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna use Matthew 18 as a cop out because I'm too afraid to call you on this. I'm too afraid to to say anything. So I'm gonna use Matthew 18 as a cop out. You see, I'm not denigrating Matthew 18. It's highly appropriate for certain situations, but that's kind of like a last ditch effort. Anybody who leans on Matthew 18 has denied a whole bunch of other scriptures. A whole bunch of other scriptures. You see? It breaks my heart to say that intimacy within the body of Christ is dangerous. I hate saying that. But it's another sign of the last days. Because intimacy within the body, it is so beautiful, so incredibly beautiful. I have gained the best of friends in very close intimacy. The best of friends. But when carnality starts to seep in, it becomes dangerous. And it pains me to say that intimacy in the body is dangerous. But it's another sign of the last days. In verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. You see, sound doctrine is of utmost importance. And that's our unity in Christ. That's our unity in Christ. It's not unity for unity's sake. That's another thing we're seeing. We're starting to see all these. This is what I'm starting to see. You might be seeing it too. But you're starting to see all these churches. And they're banding together. You know, oh, we have to open up, we have to open up, we have to have these church services. So you know what you're seeing? You're seeing the Protestants mixed with the Lutherans, mixed with the Episcopals, mixed with the Catholics, mixed with all kinds of different, you know, denominations. And they're forming these coalitions, they're having these partnerships. Oh yeah, you're my brother, no division, let's have unity. So when the churches open up again, post-COVID, now with these new partnerships, oh yeah, we're a Protestant church, but you know what? I made good friends with this pastor, and you know what? He happens to go grave soaking, so yeah, let's go grave soaking. We're going to join them. Unity, fellowship of the saints, church unity. You see, it's not unity for the sake of having unity. It's unity of the same mind. What's the mind? Of Christ. How do we know the mind of Christ? You read his word. And you abide in him, remember? Kodesh, Kodesh, and Kadosh, Kadosh. In the Hebrew, we study that. Kodesh, Kodesh, and Kadosh, Kadosh. It's deep intimacy. Let us be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. This is a lowly estate is how it translates. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Remember, wisdom must be of the Lord. Because there's worldly wisdom. There's a lot of worldly wisdom. I mean, like, you know, I mean, look, I mentioned Michael Jordan. Back when he played, he had wisdom, you know, in, in accordance with the world, in accordance with the sport. Highly disciplined in accordance with the world, in accordance with the sport. Highly skilled. He had the goods. You look at uh, business people. Highly skilled with wisdom. 
You look at farmers, highly skilled, wisdom. You look at uh, military people, commanders, highly skilled, wisdom. But those are in those certain vocations, in those certain uh, areas, in those certain theaters. What about the Christian? What about you and me? Our wisdom is not of this world. It is from Holy Scripture. That's our wisdom, the Word of God, as He teaches us. He is our wisdom. Man has their brand of wisdom. Jesus Christ has an entirely different brand of wisdom. It's heavenly. It's not of this world. Do not be wise in your own opinion, he says in closing. Repay no one evil for evil. Have you know you have that payback mentality? Oh, this person did this to me, so oh, I'm gonna get him back. You know, it's gonna be, it, 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 it perpetuates evil, it perpetuates carnality. And we're gonna talk about this more in, in, in to the letter in the Corinthians because Paul hits on some very, very basic things to a very, very basic church, a church that's on milk, a church that are young, they haven't matured in Christ. And I love it so much, 1 Corinthians, because it speaks of a carnal church. And then you get into 2 Corinthians and they're no longer carnal. They grow, they mature, they repent, and they're right with the Lord. Paul says this in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things. Beautiful, he says. Beautiful and virtuous things is how it translates. In the sight of all men. You know, we let our light shine. We let our light shine. Don't forget, let's turn really quick to Amos, the book of Amos. In Amos chapter 5. In Amos chapter 5. Verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. This is very interesting because 2 Peter chapter 3 says the day of the Lord is a beautiful thing that we could look forward to the day of the Lord and we're, you know, to be full of joy at the day of the Lord. But then here in Amos 5, uh, 18, he says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So which is it? Do I take what Amos says or do I take what Peter says? You know what the answer is? I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. I don't know. But you know. It depends on you. 25 years ago, I would take Amos. Today, I take Peter. What changed? Did Amos change? No. Did Peter change? No. Did the Lord change? No. You know who changed? I did. I yielded to Jesus Christ. And I changed. I shouldn't say I changed. He changed me. And not completely. There's a little duality there. I had to let him. He didn't make me a robot. He didn't make you a robot. And he doesn't make people robots. So if your state right now is wickedness, and you do not know the Lord or you're playing games with the Lord, take Amos. But if you know the Lord, you're walking with him and you're on fire for the Lord and you're abiding in him, take Peter. 
I used to wonder, like, which is it? Do I not desire? And the same passages in, in the book of Joel. Do I not do the, the day of the Lord? Do I not want it? Do I want it? I don't get it. But Brother Peter says it's a beautiful thing. You know why? He speaks to Christians, the church, people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, people who are uh, uh, not appointed to wrath. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what? I'm not saying yet. I'm not saying that Israel is appointed to wrath, but Israel's state before God at this time wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. So the Lord says, "Hey Amos, I want you to write this, or I want you to say this. I want you to say this to Israel because they have forgotten me. They have turned away from me." You say, what do you mean they've, returned, they've turned away from me? Well, in chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse um, um, 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth. It speaks of their poverty. and You have not returned to me. I with, In verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. In verse 8, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 1, I blasted you with blight and mildew, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 10, I sent among you a plague, yet you have not returned to me. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, yet you have not returned to me. Therefore, in verse 12, will I therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. It's not good. Chapter 5, verse 4, seek me and live. Chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Chapter 5, verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so here we have verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord for what is, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light, perilous times. You hear me say it's going to get darker and darker and darker. Do you know why? Because the Bible says it's going to get darker and darker and darker. It will be darkness and not light. These are the perilous times. In verse 19, it will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. You see, people desiring safety. It's understandable. Completely understandable. I get it. Oh, yeah, I want safety. I want safety. I want safety. It's completely understandable. But as is written here, it will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. You know what's better? Walking with Jesus Christ. Or as though he says he went, as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. You know, oh, I want safety, I want safety, I'm gonna flee the lion. Boom, you got a bear. Oh, I want safety, I'm safety, here's my house. You lean on the wall, boom, a snake bites you dead. You're dead by a lion, dead by a bear, dead by a snake. Why? You know what's better? Just as he says in, in chapter 5, verse 4, seek me and live. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. That's what's better. It is not the day, in verse 20, it is not the day of the Lord. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is not, is it not very dark? With no brightness in it, it's perilous times. And you know what? Wise virgins are ready. Wise virgins are ready. Why? Because the wise virgins have oil for their lamp when the darkness comes. 
And it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. Let's go back to Romans. Romans 12. So verse tw chapter 12, verse 14, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, beautiful and virtuous things in the sight of all men, letting our lights shine. Just like we read in Amos, it's going to be very dark. If it is possible, he says in verse 18, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. Remember the times in Rome. Remember the times in Rome. In chapter 8, verse 35, Paul gives us a little glimpse of what it's like. In chapter 8, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? I wonder what kind of tribulations were in Rome. At the, for the church, for the Christian at this particular moment in time, where the cost of being a Christian was getting harder and harder and more intense and more intense and at a heavier cost. A Roman soldier putting a knife to your neck. Who is Lord? You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live, go home, see your family. You say Jesus is Lord, boom, sword in the neck. Say goodnight, you see? What kind of tribulation? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Do you know what happened to the women under Roman persecution? It'll break your heart. The children, young girls, what they did to the females, Christians, our sisters, our early sisters, our family in accordance as heirs of Abraham. Shall peril, shall sword, as it is written, he says in verse 36, for your sake, for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, nothing. That's the church in Rome. Christians in Rome. Christian families in Rome. Christian churches in Rome. Pastors in Rome. Elders in Rome. Lamb, sheep in Rome. And he says this in chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Does that mean like we form a coalition and we fight? We kill the Romans? No, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with them. Remember what Rome was like. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Do not uh, uh, retaliate. 
Do not avenge yourself. You know, do not retaliate. Do not uh, vindicate on behalf of yourself. He says, but rather give place to wrath. Take a back seat to wrath. That's what he's saying. Take a back seat to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Who says, I will repay? In verse 20, therefore, now for this therefore, the Holy Spirit is required. It can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit because he says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do you know how much that is counter flesh? Well, but this guy is my persecutor. This lady is my persecutor. And you want me to feed him? You want me to feed her? But look, he's done so much wrong to me. She's done so much wrong to me. I want vengeance. I want vindication. Let me ask you something. Do you really know what you're asking? Have you ever seen death? You might say, yeah, I've seen death. Have you ever seen a corpse, a body, maybe a body that's about 20 seconds away from dying? Maybe a minute bleeding out and the lifeblood is exiting a body. And the person who's crying out and you know that once they take their, once they expire their last breath, they bleed out, whatever, they expire Boom, they enter eternity. And if they enter eternity without Jesus Christ, they will burn in hell. They will burn in hell. Knowing that, beloved, do you really want vengeance? You see? The Holy Spirit is required. To feed your enemy. The Holy Spirit is required to live peaceably with all men, to include your enemy. It's easy. Piece of cake to live with your friends. Piece of cake, that's easy. Why? Because they're your friends. But then you get tired of them, you know? You have visitors over. Oh, okay, it's time. Get out of here. You know, see, you've uh, overstayed your welcome, you know? Time to go. But that's, that's with your friends. What about your enemies? When your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Lord, what? What? Lord, I can't do this, Lord. Do you know what this person said about me? Do you know what this guy said? Do you know what this lady did, what she said? And you want me to feed? You want me to bless them? Lord, I can't do it. And I wonder if the Lord is saying, bingo, you're right. Finally, finally, you're understanding. I wonder if the Lord is saying lovingly. Verse 14, when he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And then here, feed your enemy. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. You see, check your motivation. Look at Jonah. When he was finally obedient to the Lord, remember he was disobedient to the Lord. The Lord says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction, even in the ocean on a boat. Then he was in the belly of the whale. The Lord heard his prayer, and then the whale swam back, spit him out on the shore, and he was finally obedient. And then, you know, he thought, fine, Lord, I'll do this. I'll say what you want me to say. So he finally said what he went to say. He goes up into the mountaintop, the little hillside, and he's waiting there. I'm going to wait for the Lord to just burn it like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to wait for the Lord to just destroy everything. And he's sitting there, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. Where's the fire? Where's the brimstone? And then the Lord speaks to him and shows him mercy and teaches him about mercy. Teaches him about his love. Let me tell you something. I've felt those burning coals before. My own wife. My own wife. Whom at one point in my life I wanted to kill. I wanted to murder. And I almost did. In the very act of murder. Almost like five extra seconds. It would have been over. And the Lord stopped me. But my spirit of violence and hatred was intense, very palpable. And one night we got into a big argument. You know, and I went into another room and she was crying and crying and crying. And she was just crying. You know, And she was praying at the same time, but all I heard were crying. And she was praying. And here I am watching TV. Then she goes into the kitchen. And I hear the pots and pans, you know, I hear the, the little stove top. I hear that. I know she's cooking because I've heard it a million times. I can smell it now. And I thought she was going to make herself dinner because it was kind of late. I thought she was going to make herself something to eat. And she comes from the corner. <laughs> and she tells me, she tells me your dinner is ready. She had no business making me dinner. She had no business making me dinner. She had every right to put a bullet in my head. She wouldn't have done that, but you know, I, she had every right to beat me with a pot because I was mean to her. I was cruel to her. I was so cruel to her. And I'm ashamed to say these things. But for the glory of my king, I will tell you. And I was hungry, you know, I, I, I didn't want to like say, okay, I wasn't so mad that I'm going to deny my belly. So I got up, kind of gave her like a stern look, like, you know, this isn't over. And she didn't just make like, some, like a garbage dinner. You know, it was good. She could have like made it nasty, you know, she made it delicious. I remember, I tell you, you know, verse 20, where the Lord says, For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I tell you the truth, I felt those coals. And they don't feel good. And I start eating the food. And she takes this cheese. We have this little thing of cheese. She puts her fingers in it. It has a little thing of cheese. And she sprinkles it on my food. 
just like she did when we were not fighting, you know, like a day when we're not fighting, when it was a nice day, when the waters were calm. She did it just like that. It killed me. I felt those coals. Burning hot coals. I felt them. And it hurt. But what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done. In her act of faithfulness. Unto him. To bless those who curse her. To bless the man who cursed her. To feed her enemy who was hungry. To give her enemy a drink. And you know what? When it says vengeance is mine, I will repay. You know, the Lord messed me up. The Lord fought for my wife. And the Lord messed me up. He wrecked shop all up and down my face. And praise be to the Lord. And because he did, I will always love him. And he made me fall in love deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the wife of my youth. See, I felt those coals. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Because vengeance is his. Look what happens here in closing. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. You see how basic these verses are. How easy they are. They're easy to read. Easy to understand. The difficulty comes in application. Do not be overcome by evil. You overcome evil with good. I understand a defensive posture. But what happens when the Christian goes on the offense, just like we read in the book of Acts? What happens when the Christian goes on the offense in love? You know? You take a couple punches from the enemy and you don't want to fight and so you're going to run. And then at what point will you stop running and say, you know what? I'm going on offense. And I say offense spiritually. I'm not saying you're going to go back and, you know, fight. But you're going to turn around, go back, and you're going to fight, but it's going to be on your knees before the Lord. And you're going to curse not your enemies. You're going to bless those who curse you. And then you're going to apply these things that we read. You see, then rings true what 
the, I want, you know, it blows me away so much when you read passages in Isaiah when the Assyrian army is coming, you know, the Assyrian army and uh, uh, Hezekiah, he's, he's concerned, he's scared, he, he, he's like, these, the numbers of Israel, the numbers of Assyria, you know, militarily speaking, they, they would have lost. Militarily speaking, you know, you look at the might. And then the Lord tells Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, hey, I want you to send a message to, to uh, um, uh, Hezekiah. And then, you know, he goes in obedience. He goes, you know, he visits Hezekiah. Hezekiah's like, okay, well, you know, Isaiah, what is this message of the Lord? And he says, you know, thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. Thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. I'm paraphrasing, but thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. And it's so beautiful because you see Hezekiah, he's like, okay, and you know, I don't understand. I don't get it. You know, I think it's kind of crazy, but I'm going to go to sleep. Just like the Lord has says through Isaiah, he goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, looks outside the wall. And what does he see? All his enemy dead. One angel killed the entire Assyrian army. One angel And you know, when I say go on offense, a lot of times we think, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But I wonder if the form of offense is, hey, go to sleep. Be in peace. Why? Because the fight belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Understand this because as the days get darker and more evil, and wickedness abounds. Remember that where, where, where wickedness abounds, grace abounds much more. And all this opportunity we have at the harvest, which is plentiful, but it's the workers that are few. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 13 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.